Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. My promise to St. Louis was that I would do the absolute most for each and every person, starting with those who have the very least. What I wanted to do was look and see what other states are doing. We have to be willing to change those laws, that they are balanced and they affect everybody equally. As somebody that grew up in the St. Louis area, North St. Louis County, I didn't know any lawyers growing up. We gotta find long-term solutions to make government better, but also to be able to provide services to people. I don't wanna leave that federal money that we've been leaving all these years on the table. We need to be spending this money to take care of Missourians. I thought we accomplished a lot this year, but a lot more needs to be done. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Rosenbaum, a political correspondent with St. Louis Public Radio. On the latest episode of the Politically Speaking Hour on St. Louis on the Air, I had the pleasure to speak with former New Jersey Senator Bill Bradley. We discussed his life in sports and politics and, more importantly, his upbringing in Crystal City, Missouri. Here is my conversation with Bradley, who will be receiving the Stan Musial Lifetime Achievement Award for Sportsmanship at this weekend's Musial Awards. Senator, welcome. Thank you very much, Jason. It's a pleasure to be with you. You excelled at basketball at a pretty early age. Do you recall when you were growing up in Crystal City when you fell in love with the sport? Uh, yeah, I, I think that um, by the time I was in the eighth grade that I'd fallen in love with the sport. And then I went to a basketball camp after my freshman year in college, in high school, Easy Ed McCauley's basketball camp, the great St. Louis U University uh, basketball player and St. Louis Hawk. And uh, at the camp, um, I learned a lot, and I then then decided it was my passion. I remember somebody. I think it was Macaulay saying to the assembled campers one day, remember, if you're not practicing, somebody somewhere is practicing. And given roughly the equal ability, when you two meet, he's going to win. And I decided I never wanted to lose because I hadn't put in the effort. And that was the beginning of a workaholic life as a player, three hours a day uh, on um, Mondays through Fridays, four or five hours on Saturdays and Sundays for nine months a year for many, many years, beginning when I was about 14. You have often cited your upbringing in Crystal City, Missouri, for a lot of key principles you learned in sports and politics. What were some of the most important lessons you learned during your upbringing in Jefferson County, Missouri? Well, I think that uh, Missouri and Crystal City, Jefferson County, and basketball all came together. And of course, my parents, uh, the first and most important influence were my parents. My father was a small town banker. My mother was a college graduate from Central College in Fayette, Missouri, and a a, uh, fourth grade teacher for many years. And um, the values were things like um, discipline, uh, selflessness, courage, uh, imagination, responsibility. Uh, Those were some of the things that 
were most prominent uh, as you as I developed, and uh, they were reinforced by my family and by my coach in high school, Arville Pope, and uh, by the Macaulay experience at his camp in the summer. And then you get to a point where you're putting in all the hours, and you begin to see you're getting a little better. You know, you hit. A seven out of ten, as opposed to four out of ten or five out of ten. Then you hit nine out of ten, then ten out of ten. And the more you succeed, the more fuel that provides to the fire and the harder you work. And um, so some people say that's the origin of my workaholism, but it's also the origin of uh, of the way you make your way through life, and that's always been mine. I was watching a documentary recently about the toxic relationship between Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. And what was notable about that feud is it revolved around which player was going to be the dominant offensive alpha dog, so to speak. But from talking with my dad, since he grew up watching you as a member of the New York Knicks, that never seemed to be a major problem when you were playing professional basketball. The reputation of the Knicks was it was very team-oriented and relatively unselfish. How were you able to garner that reputation? Which I admit, I only know by reputation since I was negative 25 years old when that was happening. (laughs) Well, I I think it was because of the character of the players on the team. Uh, Willis Reed, uh, Dave DeBusher... Walt Frazier, Earl Monroe, Dick Barnett, Phil Jackson, Jerry Lucas. Uh, you know, the fact is that each of us knew that no one of us could be as good individually as all five of us could be together, and that the highest thing you could experience in basketball was winning the championship, and you had to do that with five players. And in addition, you know, it was a great group of guys, and uh, it was uh, – it was in some ways, it was a kind of a. Uh, I, I felt I belonged in that group, uh, and you know the road was always a great experience, and um, I learned so much from them um, in terms of race, but also just in terms of how to operate in a world where the where the where the uh, cameras on you, and um, so. I was very lucky to be with a group of people who shared the same values I did about the game and the same convictions as to what they were prepared to do to help the team. And then, you know, like when I developed a little skill and worked harder, as soon as you begin to win, that feeds on itself. You continue to do more and more and more. And that was why those four or five years were uh, were a unique experience for me. I want to stay on the topic of, of racial justice because I was reading a speech from your 2000 presidential campaign, and the, this line really struck me. When it came to race, the town was a little ahead of its time. The Little League was integrated before the schools. As a teenager, I remember our team walking out of restaurants in the boot heel of Missouri because they wouldn't serve our black catcher. Racism disturbed me then, and it still angers me now. For me, the only thing deserving of hate is hate itself. I'd like to know how this upbringing in Crystal City affected how you approached America's immense racial problems, especially during your time in elected office. Well, my father, who was a small-town banker, um, had a lot of wisdom. And one of the things he said is, you can never tell who saved or paid back their loans by the color of their skin. 
Um, also, there was an African-American man who was the, um, the, the custodian at the bank who I became very close to. And, and when he'd go on vacation, he, uh, I'd take over his, his responsibilities, and he showed me the mystery of the mop. I fling the strands wide, then pull them back and forth so you get the job of mopping the floor done in the shortest period of time. And, uh, you know, I talked about race uh, with him. And um, he was a coach of his own Golden Gloves team. He was the one who helped put my basketball uh, hoop up in the backyard. Uh, and he was he was very close to me. And then you go on through life and you find that uh, with the Knicks, for example, I learned so much about race from my teammates. I mean, Dick Barnett tells me stories about his all-black Tennessee State team winning the small college national championship and going back to Nashville and going right from the airport to a lunch counter sit-in downtown where they were protesting segregated restaurants, like those segregated restaurants you read about in the boot heel for me. And uh, he had to have the discipline not to respond when white people spit on him for trying to integrate the restaurant. African-American rookie in uh, Mississippi tells me he'll always vote because for over 150 years, nobody in his family had a right to vote. Cassie Russell, the great player from Michigan and played with the Knicks and in San Francisco, he uh, he's late to practice one day. We're in Detroit, and he's late to practice. And so Red Holzman, the coach, finds him, and we start to practice with scrimmage. And uh, he uh, gets in a fight with a white teammate. And Willis Reed, who's African-American, of course, steps in to break it up. And Cassie snaps Uncle Tom. And Willis says, Uncle Tom, what's Uncle Tom going to do some ass whooping if you do that again? And only later did I discover that Cassie's lateness and foul mood came from being stopped by Michigan State Police on his drive down from Ann Arbor, where he went to college. And I had to lie spread eagle on the hood of his car while his trunk and back seat were searched. There was a wrong person stopped. And um, so all of these experiences come together to inform my own feeling about the importance of racial unity in our country and the importance of seeing beyond color to character and being able to... Uh, realize that we're all so much better, not only as a team, but as a country, when we do things together and when we are constantly at each other's throats. To show how much foresight you had, here's here's another line from a speech you made in 1991. The politics of public safety implies police armed with a popular mandate out in the community, building partnerships with law-abiding majorities. Together, they will help to prevent crime in all neighborhoods of a city. And this really struck me because the relationship between African-Americans and police, which you just alluded to, was the central conflict behind what happened in Ferguson in 2014, which which was a seminal event in American civil rights history that happened in Missouri. Do you think it is possible for there to be a cohesive and trusting relationship between police and black Americans? Um, I think the burden of proof is on the police and the elected leaders who are in charge of the police. But the answer is yes. Uh, I mean, first of all, it helps if you have an integrated police force um, and that 
you have what I just described and you read there, community policing, where part of the police, the job is to win the trust of the community who then helps the police do their job, which is to get the bad guys and not to just rack up uh, arrests for for the books, you know. And so I think, yes, it is possible. And far-sighted leaders in the law enforcement community know that. And in many places, they have managed to produce that kind of police force. We're talking today with former U.S. Senator Bill Bradley, a native of Crystal City, Missouri. Bradley will be receiving the Stan Musial Lifetime Achievement Award for sportsmanship this weekend. So this may be hard for some to believe, but you could make an argument that in the 1970s, New Jersey was a more Republican state than Missouri. In 1976, for instance, Missouri voted for Jimmy Carter, while New Jersey went for Gerald Ford. Uh, It it may seem like you may have wanted to go and run in Missouri because it may have been easier for you since you got a lot of fame there. Was there any reason you decided to make your political homestead in New Jersey instead of the show me state? Uh, Sure. It's actually where I was living. Uh, I left Missouri when I was 18 and went to college in New Jersey at Princeton. Uh, After college, I went to Oxford. After that, I came back to play with the Knicks, but I was in the Air Force Reserve in New Jersey. And over uh, 10 years with the Knicks, um, I lived in New Jersey six of those 10 years, the last six years, and it became home. I got married. I had a child. It was the it was I put down roots there, so there was a natural evolution from Missouri to New Jersey, uh, and I'm sure that happens to a lot of people in America. We are peripatetic people; we move uh, often, and the key is to be able to uh, never lose your roots and add another home, and that's what I did. Were any of your Senate colleagues intimidated by you because of your stardom playing in the NBA? And most (laughs) importantly, did any of them ever challenge you to a basketball game? And finally, (laughs) even more importantly, was it Joe Biden who challenged you? (laughs) You ask a number of questions there. I I know, but I just Uh, just got to know. (laughs) None of them, whoever they were, challenged me to a basketball game. In fact, my first year or two in the Senate, I didn't even talk about basketball. It got around that people knew that. And so they wouldn't even ask me about the NCAA tournament or the NBA because they knew that I was interested in being a senator and and, uh, learning the way to be successful as a senator and not trading on the past. And uh, then after I really felt that I had, had been accepted in the Senate and performed, I then, of course, loosened up and was willing to talk about basketball and on occasion did with colleagues, but uh, uh, none of them were none of them were young enough to challenge me even then. Yeah. However, at once, during the, during the uh, 1986 tax reform bill, when I needed some votes in the House Ways and Means Committee on the bill that reduced tax rates, uh, and eliminated uh, special interest loopholes, I did go to the House and play once or twice in order to get somebody on the Ways and Means Committee to be more likely to support my position. 
Yeah. For for what it's worth, I, I actually asked former Governor Jay Nixon, who is a uh, native of DeSoto, Missouri, if he ever played basketball against you. He said he is not, but he seems to recall the last time the Crystal City Hornets defeated the DeSoto Dragons was when you were at school there. And I just got to say, I'm not really 100% sure if that's accurate, because I'm sure Crystal City has beaten DeSoto at least once in the last 50 <laughs> years. But I know that Governor Nixon is just repping his hometown of DeSoto there. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. He likes it. He, you know, you know. I'm odd. I'm do that every time I can talk about Crystal City. If you're proud where you're from, you do that. So, Jay's just being Jay. Yeah, Jay is just being Jay. My final question for you, which I think is the most important question I will ever ask anybody: Do you think St. Louis will ever get an NBA team again? <laughs> I hope so. I was a Hawk fan. Bob Pettit, Cliff Hagen, they were my guys. And uh, I don't know why not. Well, I think that maybe because Seattle and Las Vegas are ahead of us. But it is really interesting that you know people like Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal continue to play at a high level and have become internationally known from as, as athletes from St. Louis. But it just seems from talking to people, St. Louis is more enamored with baseball and hockey than professional basketball. At least that's my opinion. I'm not sure if you go and talk with people in Crystal City, that's what you find. But is there any way to break through that and make basketball dominant again like it was in the 50s and 60s? <laughs> you know, I got a lot of things on my mind. <laughs> and uh, I I think if the people want to have it, if there's a far-sighted business person in uh, in St. Louis and the resources are there, they can make their case to the NBA and they stand a good chance as anybody else. I mean, they can get a team to move. That's what teams do. There are, not every team is succeeding, and a team that isn't succeeding might want to go to a place where they might succeed. And St. Louis has to make the uh, argument in a convincing way that they could succeed in St. Louis. And then the NBA probably would be receptive. Um, you know, as an old St. Louis Hawk fan, I remember going down to Keel Auditorium and uh, watching those games. And I never will forget in '57 when the Knicks finally—I mean, the Knicks, sorry—the Hawks finally beat uh, the Celtics. It was a great day. Well, I think that the St. Louis Knicks have a nice ring to it, so I think just uh, transferring the Knicks to St. Louis seems like a good idea. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's a non-starter. But what can I say? It only shows that I'm from both places. It, it certainly does. Bill Bradley served three terms as a Democratic senator from New Jersey. He is a two-time NBA champion who played for the New York Knicks, not the St. Louis Knicks, and he is a native of Crystal City, Missouri, in Jefferson County. Bill Bradley will receive the Stan Musial Lifetime Achievement Award for Sportsmanship at this Saturday evening's Musial Awards at the Stiefel Theater. More information is available at musialawards.com, and the ceremony will air December 24th on CBS. Senator, thank you again for joining us. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Jason. This on the air is produced by Maya Norfleet, Danny Wisentowski, Emily Woodbury, and Alex Hoyer. Our audio engineer is Aaron Dorr, and our production intern is Aula Kaziz. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Thank you for listening. I'm Jason Rosenbaum.